last one. That's fine. <laughs> oh wow, that's good. A nun on a motorcycle. I know. I don't. I feel guilty laughing just a little. No bit. one was hurting that. No, okay, no, one no nobody all. was hurting the making no. of that film. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Hey, my name's Ben. I'm so glad you're here. I'm the lead pastor here. This is Greg. He is our executive pastor. And we wanted to take a moment before I give the message today to um, do something that we talked about last year. On the first Sunday of the year, take some time and acknowledge that this building that we're in, this new space, is a gift from God to us to be used for his glory. So just a moment, we're going to pray and invite God in a formal way to be a part of all that we're doing. Now, we've already seen his hand at work. We had an amazing um, Christmas Eve Eve service, Greg. Yeah, first time we've done uh, the three services like that on a Christmas Eve Eve, so it was terrific. Also, the first time we got so much wax on all the new furniture. That was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> no but we had our largest attendance ever in the history of our church on Christmas Eve Eve. I saw my first ever reindeer with one antler. We saw yeah. that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we also had in the... How many weeks have we had services here? Three weeks I think or so? we've had three services. This will be our fourth yeah. set of services. Already we've had more than 25 people commit their lives to Christ in, in this new facility. Yeah, so. that's, that's right. That's, yeah. that's good stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we, we built this church, honestly, not to be cool or hip, although it's an amazing cool and hip space. And we weren't trying to do, you know, something to supersede all the other churches in the area. That's not our heart. We just wanted to do what God put in front of us. And uh, so people gave, um, they served, they prayed. Greg, before we ever built this building, we built a church in India, uh, yeah. in an orphanage, and now a, a widow's home, or no, as, as Pastor James in India calls it, an old an woman's old home, home, old yeah. lady's home. Uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. It's PR and, and that kind of stuff, right. a little different there. But, you know, we read the Bible through entirely from cover to cover over 90 days. Yeah, right back in a room, back off of one of the docks back here. People, uh, people came and prayed or uh, uh, read around the clock, really. Yeah, so we went from the table of contents all the way to the maps out loud uh, in, in this building. Uh, we also spent 40 straight hours praying yeah. um, through the night, which was hard. Yeah, pe- people, <laughs> uh, came people came here and prayed right in the facility. You know, uh, all of that really was our way of saying, God, we, we can't force your hand, but you've given us things in your word that tell us what we can do to make your presence welcome and to make our lives be transformed in your presence and so we wanted to do all of that in anticipation of what god might do in this space um there are a couple of folks and we we don't take a lot of time publicly to acknowledge a lot of individual accomplishments um we know that most of us um you know we just don't have a a, a large amount of uh, room for that kind of thing right but we do want to take a moment and just acknowledge four people that have given um so much of their selves in this building that it's just astronomical in fact, one of them came so often to serve, Greg, I felt guilty yeah. every time he would walk in. I felt like we needed to, to put him on salary or something or so like that. I, I yeah. agree with you. Um, l- let me just, uh, just very quickly, and uh, you may not know these folks, uh, but I just want you to hear their names um, because they, without these four folks, honestly, uh, we wouldn't be where we are right now. The yeah, first then, one is, uh, you're going to do four, and I'm going to add two more th- that I was thinking about last night after we talked. So Great. go ahead and go with the first one. And the first one is a gentleman by the name of Marv Goldschmidt. Marv, um... Marv came along and kind of acted as the executive construction manager for us. And through his contacts with our architects and building folks, we were able to accelerate um, the timeline of this process. We thought we were moving very fast, and then things got bogged down. Marv stepped on board and said, hey, I helped build a church north of here. I'd like to do this again. And and he gave hour after hour after hour in making um, this building happen. And we we would not be where we are without him. Yeah, exactly. Another, Another one that is the reason we actually have lights and power and <laughs> really uh, were able to get in the building when we did is Rick Goschel. Rick uh, owns an electric business. Wilford Electric. Wilford Electric. And um, 
they were out here all the time yeah. getting this place rewired and wired the right way for a church to have uh, services in this building. And uh, a lot of that time, uh, Rick didn't even get paid for. He just volunteered much of his time, a lot of his services, and even a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so we would not have been able to be in here like we were without Rick. Yeah. Uh, Rick's help and the guys that work with him. And one of the guys is in the back in the, in the sound booth, a guy by the name of, of Mark. And uh, Mark came out and just spent hours and hours and hours here. He would work a full day at work at uh, Procter & Gamble. Yeah. Uh, pack and go, we like to call it B&G. <laughs> and except he's been here for a while now. And then um, he would come here and he would spend hours and hours and hours working, doing anything. And again, coming alongside the yeah. electric. Electric's one of the biggest parts of this yeah, job. Yeah, he was here four or five nights a week, it seemed <laughs> like, every week for months, right. months while we built this place. And then, Greg, w when we first got started, uh, one guy by the name of, of Larry, um, Larry came up and he said, um, I feel like God put on mine and my, heart's my, my, my wife's heart that I should come and give almost every evening to the building yeah. of this building. And so, so Larry came. Uh, Larry Williams, Larry, uh, his yeah. wife Dorothy, they made that sacrifice together. Larry came almost every evening week after week after week and just poured in. Yeah, six, or six, six days a week, sometimes seven. Sometimes he'd yeah. come out on Sunday nights. And most nights every night he had a good attitude. Yeah, <laughs> no, not every night. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, night. Larry. I'm kidding if you're out there. Uh, a couple <laughs> more people. Um, Lee Allen, um, who is a general contractor who also goes to our church, pretty much lived here for the last couple weeks and a lot before then, too. I mean, every part of this building, his hands have probably touched in one form or fashion. I was so grateful for Lee coming because before Lee came, I was trying to hang a few studs. You may not know this. I don't know if you can see it, but I ran into one of the studs I had just put up. Literally, I just put it up, and a few minutes later, I tried to walk through it, and I put a slit in my forehead. Yeah. 17 stitches yeah. right there. So <laughs> I have shed my blood for you. Uh, I don't have a Christ complex or anything, but I'm just telling you. Uh, I went straight to the hospital, 17 stitches. I was so grateful when Lee came and said, hey, I got this. Right, I got yeah. this. It was probably best. <laughs> and then the, the, there literally are um, dozens of people who spent countless hours out here. Um, especially the last week even, and we talked about this before, many of you came on the very first Sunday with literally blisters on your hands and your knees from doing work or laying carpet. Um, if you're newer, you may not know that we pretty much built this ourselves. We just, we didn't have the funds to pay to have it built. That would have been nice. Yeah. Um, but we pretty much built it ourselves. Um, but the final person, um, I think painted some on every wall that we're using, and maybe some of the walls we're not using. But Emily McCoy, mm. um, she was out here, yeah. I think more than me. She would get here early, and she would bring her kids. She's got uh, some little girls that were with yeah. her. And they would, like, ride the carts out in the warehouse. I'm surprised no one decapitated yeah. themselves. It w but they yeah. were here. She was here all the time painting her and uh, said, cleaning well, stuff and just helping out however she could. Her husband said that, that he thought that maybe she believed it was her call in life to paint the entire building herself. And she did, almost. And she almost she did. Almost did. But yeah. thank, thank you for that. Uh, what we want to do right now is just take a little bit of time to, uh, to pray in a formal way. And uh, there are going to be some words on the screen um, on the sides here. And what Greg and I will do is we'll kind of pray um, what the staff and I have been thinking about, praying about, as we thought about this building, what we wanted to see God do, what we believed he was leading us to do. And then your response, if you're Catholic, this will sound familiar to you, will simply be, Lord, hear our prayer. And you'll see those things on the screen. So um, with our eyes open, if that's okay, I'm going to read um, the, the, the prayerful, thoughtful idea that ideas that we've had as we wanted to invite God in um, in this portion of, of dedication. So, so here we go. Heavenly Father, we renew our vows with you that as you lead us, we will follow you. We dedicate this building to you and all that happens in it and from it. Four Corners Church is yours to be used for your purposes. Lord, 
We pray that you would enable us to be a church that brings you glory. We do not build your church according to our own plans or in our own strength. We build by your word, empowered by your spirit. We dedicate our work, our hearts, and our whole selves to your vision for this church. As we pursue the cause of Christ together, allow us to be salt and light in the world. We pray that you would empower us to share your love with our neighbors next door and to the nations of the world with great passion. Lord, we pray for this city. We pray for your grace to be poured out on this entire region and for the unstoppable love of Jesus to transform lives. We pray for the lost to be found, the blind to see, for sinners to be saved. We pray for your truth to set people free. Lord, we ask you to cover, bless, and prosper every church, every pastor, and every family in the greater Cincinnati region. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, bless the people of Four Corners, our church. Pour out your love, grace, joy, peace, wisdom, and strength on every home, every husband, every wife, every parent, every single person, and every child. Restore marriages. Grant us the ability to partner with parents as they raise their children according to your word and prepare them to be leaders in their generation. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, prosper us that we might establish your work on earth. Provide above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus, that we might be a blessing to the city and to those in need. Lord, Lord hear, hear our prayer. prayer. Lord, teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and then let each of us be transformed in your presence. Baptize us into the fullness of your spirit. Let every gathering, large or small, be saturated by your presence as we worship, your power as we pray, your truth as we teach, and your love as we serve. Lord, hear, hear our prayer. prayer. Lord, let the atmosphere of Four Corners Church be filled with expectation for the supernatural. Let our faith increase by your word each day. We ask for miracles, signs, and wonders that bring glory to you and to be done in our midst. We ask that you would convict us of our sin and convince us of who we are in you. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, make us to be a church for all people, from all backgrounds, for all races. Lord, let our church be a representation of what heaven will look like, a tapestry of language, color, and culture, unified in one voice as we worship you with all of our hearts. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, let each person that enters these doors, attends a small group, or experiences an outreach sense warmth and welcome. May they experience through us your open arms of grace and mercy. May they hear your word, understand your truth, and sense your love. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, let us be a church of multiple generations working together, strengthening each other, learning from one another, and committed to the vision that you have given us. Let the wisdom of the older and the vitality of the younger unite us into a powerful gospel presence in our city. Lord, Lord hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, release each person in their gifting as they find their place in the body of Christ. Teach us to be servants who find fulfillment, building the church, and expanding your kingdom. Help us see the awesome privilege of participating in the great work of building your church. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, we claim all the resources necessary to do all that you've called us to do. Send us everything we need. Grow us to be good stewards of what you have blessed us with. Help us make your work a priority in our hearts, on our calendars, and with our money. Help us set the standard in Cincinnati of what it means for your people to be generous. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Lord, we declare, proclaim, and shout from the rooftops 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, that no person comes to the Father except through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you are building your church to the power of your Holy Spirit, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. 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 Would you like to say thank you to each person that had a part in giving, serving, and praying to help make this place happen? Thank you. We are very excited about what God has been doing and what he's going to continue to do through this tool. It's only a tool. Uh, we know that a building is not the church, but it's a tool that God uses to do the work of the church in the world, and we're so thrilled about it. You'll be hearing and seeing um, things over the next few months as we continue to finish out phase one. Um, I wanted to start this year as we do the On Your Mark message series, talking not about a set of goals for you to reach. A lot of people are setting goals, and that's good. That's a good thing to do at the beginning of the year. Fresh starts are powerful. In, in, in a very real way, fresh starts are biblical. The Bible tells us that the mercies of God are new every morning. And so that's true on New Year's Day as well, that fresh starts in Christ with God is exactly what he's about. What that means for you and me is that no matter where we are, no matter how we've messed up, no matter if we ended up in that video we showed or not, or if we could have made our own video of our mess-ups this year, that there is a new beginning in Christ Jesus. Well, I, I was reminded of a passage in the last few weeks that has gripped my personal heart, the heart I have for my family, and the heart I have for this church. Uh, there's a word picture in the Old Testament that is just powerful, but I think that today, as you kind of open your eyes to it, I think it'll give you a a sense of the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God that reaches out, the kind of God that offers that new mercy every day. And I think in that clearer picture of God, you're going to be able, I know it's empowered me at least, to be able to have a, a, a stronger, more vital hope and a little more strength as I pursue what I believe God's put in front of my life. It's been true for our staff as well as we've seen this picture of God in our Old Testament. So if you have your Bible and would like to go there, I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 62. And while you're turning there, let me set you up for just a little bit of what's kind of going on. Um, I don't know how much you understand about the Bible, and so if you don't mind, and if this is like review for you, let me just, uh, you know, get the rest of us up to speed, and then you can kind of lean back in. But your Bible is divided into two major parts. There's an Old Testament that deals with all the stuff before Jesus. This is the cross kind of representing his life, death, and resurrection. And so the Old Testament kind of goes back here. Our passage in Isaiah, kind of abbreviated IS, or is, um, is being found here. And so it, it pre, it's a precursor to, of all the imagery of the church. Jesus, when he came here in the middle, um, when he came, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That when I start doing my thing in the world, it's not going to stop. There's no force of hell. There's no person. There's no government that's going to be able to stop or thwart the movement of my message around the world. I'm going to change people's lives, is what Jesus said. So when you get in the Old Testament, before that language is used, what you get are, are foreshadows of what God is going to do in Jesus and through the church in the New Testament. So Jesus came, did his life, died, resurrected, and then Paul and other New Testament writers begin to talk about how to live practically the, the life that Jesus has offered. So when you read your New Testament, you get the story of Jesus, but you also get the story of how individual churches were trying to live out the teachings of Jesus. So Paul just expands on the message of Jesus in the world and helps us and left a record to help us figure out how to practically live that out in this thing called the church that Jesus said he would establish. 
So a lot of folks sometimes then when they read the Old Testament, the imagery is a little different and they miss some of the beauty and some of the mystery and some of the power and the punch of what God was doing to set the world up to receive all that Jesus would say and do. So when we go to a passage like Isaiah, there's a few words, a few ideas and images that don't immediately translate into our modern context. But if you understand them through the lens of what Jesus did and in starting the church, then they begin to make more sense. And here, here's the point. We can legitimately and, and, and positively appropriate what these Old Testament prophets and writers had to say as they talked to the people of God. We today, as the current people of God, can appropriate those images, we can appropriate those ideas and bring them right into our lives so that the meat, the power, the substance of these Old Testament writings are still very much alive and applicable to us today through the lens of what Jesus did. Now you're going to see some of that in just a moment if that was a bit over your head. I think you can lean back in right now potentially. All right, so Isaiah chapter 62. You're going to hear some words and images that you don't maybe hear a whole lot, but we'll, we'll delve into them in just a second. All right, so here's how it begins. For Zion's sake... For Zion's sake. Now, Zion was a specific hill in, in and around Jerusalem. And in fact, it became a bit of a metaphor, the word Zion. became a bit of a metaphor for that hilltop where the temple was. And so when somebody in the Bible, in the Old Testament, referenced Zion, they were talking about the seat of God's presence in among his people. So when the Bible uses the word Zion, it's referencing the fact that God's presence is among his people. It specifically refers to that hill on which the temple was built, the physical thing. But in a broader sense, it's that spiritual sense that God is among his people. That's why churches today will name themselves Mount Zion Church. We, we borrowed a building from Mount Zion Church for a while. And they were saying that this is the place where God's presence resides among his people. That's where that idea comes from. So the prophet writes, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, again, just zeroing in on that center of spiritual activity for God's people. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. The prophet is writing and he's saying, I can't keep quiet until something happens. And the something I'm waiting for is to see God's people, Zion and Jerusalem, shine and do the thing, and be the people of God, and experience all that God has for them. I can't keep quiet until God's people fully walk in the benefits of being God's people. Until God's people fully walk and reflect the character of God. Until God's people become God's people, and all the world can see it. He says in verse 2, The nations will see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be crowned, <clears throat> you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name, or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hifzabah, which simply means my delight in you. And you'll be called, your land will be called Beulah, which means married. There was an older um, spiritual song, Beulah Land. It's the idea that God's people are finally connected with God. They're in that place where God and God's people are brought together. They're, it's like a marriage. You're no longer desolate. Now, why would the prophet be concerned about God's people being desolate? Well, in his day and age back here, what was going on is the northern kingdom of Israel had already been ransacked 
by the Assyrians. And in just a few years, Babylon would wipe out the southern kingdom. Economically, it's bad. Politically, it's bad. Spiritually, the people are walking around as if their hearts are burdened. And there's no sense that they're the people of God. There are gaping areas in their life wide open where it seems as if they believe their emotions are that God isn't even present in their world, in their lives, in their marriages, in their finances. All the benefits and all the promises and all the miracles that they had heard about don't seem to be applicable to their lives right now. And when they look up, what they see is hopelessness. They look up and they see challenge. They look up and they see difficulty. And so the prophet, as the prophets do in our Bible, they bring God's truth to bear on a present reality. And this prophet says, Isaiah says, I can't keep quiet until God's people reclaim that place that God ordained for them, where their hope is in him, where they walk in his strength, where the provision that is theirs comes because he is the provider and they see that. And there is a gratitude and an overflowing joy and hope and peace, even in the middle of the difficulty. I can't rest, the prophet says, until that happens. Until the land is no longer called desolated or abandoned, but it's called Beulah, married with God, like the celebration of a marriage feast. And the Lord will take his delight in you, and your land will be married. Verse 5, and he continues this imagery, but we're not to the, we're not to the, the, the beauty mark for me yet. As a young man marries a young woman, so were your builder marry you god is the builder of this thing and as a young man marries a young woman so your builder will marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so your god rejoices over you in the new testament it's all the language of the church but in the old testament the language of bride and groom really defined the kind of image that god wanted his people to understand about the relationship that he had with them and here here we get into to the point i want to kind of leave in your heart and in your mind this year as we start out I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. The imagery here is is that it may be bad, but we have people waiting and watching, and they're sitting on the walls of the city looking out into the darkness, and they are waiting for any sign of hope. They're waiting for the least glimmer of brightness. They're waiting for the faintest light to shine. And they're not going to be silent. They're going to be speaking and and encouraging and praising this amazing God. And they're not going to stop. They're not going to give themselves any rest. Because they are the forerunners. They are the precursors of not just the benefit to them, but the benefit to everybody else that lives in the city behind them. They're the ones that are waiting and watching with hopeful anticipation for God to arise and for God's people to arise and experience all that that God has for them, and all that it means to be a part of the covenant family of God. They will not be silent, day or night. They will give themselves no rest. And verse 7 is the beauty for us. And and they're not giving themselves rest, verse 7. And they will give him no rest. They will give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem, that spiritual center of activity. That, that visual marker that God is with his people, they will give him no rest. As they are not resting, they will give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. This year, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church that gives God no rest. 
My prayer for your family is that you would be a family that gives God no rest. That you and I, corporately, as a body, as a faith family, that we hound God to death until his full work is fully accomplished in our lives. Hounding God to death is a metaphor. You, of course, can't do that in reality. That's supposed to be a joke. <clears throat> you can't hound God to death. I remember an argument that happened in my local church growing up. We, we would have about 60 on Easter. Um, it was a big day for us. It was a relatively small church. And I remember there was a certain argument about whether or not to put a Coke machine in our fellowship hall. It was a big debate. We were trying to raise money for the youth to do that. I remember I was about 14 or 15, and somebody stood up and said, this is like the money changers if you have a Coke machine in your fellowship hall. It's like the money changers that Jesus drove out of the church. Somebody else stood up and said, no, it's not. It's about a heart for missions. And it was a big debate, now, almost as big as the time we argued about the color of our carpet. It was, it was a terrible church split happening. Um, and I'll never forget the gentleman that stood up and he said, if Jesus could hear us arguing, he would roll over in his grave. Um, <laughs> kind of funny that way. <laughs> the, the point is, is that Jesus wants to do his work in and among his people. The prophet, long before Jesus comes, has grabbed hold of a truth that was true in the Old Testament and true in the New Testament. The truth that God wants to dwell among his people. And when God's people get a hold of that, it's a game changer. When God's people get a hold of the fact that being in a relationship with God changes families. It changes individuals, it changes marriages, it changes parenting, it changes businesses. It changes the relationship you have with your adult children and your, and your distant relatives. It changes how you interact with your, with your neighbors. When we get a hold of what it means to be the people of God, it changes everything. Now, as we were building this physical church, I, I think I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what it really means to be the real church that isn't defined by walls, bricks, and mortar. The group of people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus and are today, in a New Testament sense, living as the people of God. And I started thinking, I wonder if Four Corners Church really, really is living as the people of God. And it's one thing to, to shoot darts at an organization at large, but if we bring it down to real brass tacks, I wonder if the individual people, the men and women that make up this church, the people sitting in seats right now, I wonder if you and I fully have walked yet into what it means to be the people of God, to be one chosen by the Lord, to be in a relationship with him, to no longer be desolate, but to be fully connected, to be married to him. The prophet says, I cannot rest. I cannot be tired. In fact, we will set watchmen on the walls, constantly declaring day and night, there is hope in him. We are not forsaken. We are not forgotten. There are better days. His mercies are new every morning. And we're going to declare and we're going to praise so much that we will not give God rest until he fully does his work in all of us. And not in us alone. Notice what the prophet says, the imagery here. We're going to put watchmen up, not so just that the watchmen get the benefit, but so that the entire sense, uh, the, the entire area of Jerusalem gets the sense that God is at work in them. So it isn't simply a selfish, God, I need what you to do in my life, although that's, that's a fine beginning point. But God, as you do your work in me, I will become a part of helping others experience the work that you want to do in them. 
We will not be silent. I will not be silent. And so we all have that sense active in our lives, and we're seeing the fruitfulness of what it means to be in a marriage with God, in a covenant relationship, that he is a part of our lives. I'm wondering if there's any part of your life in which you believe and you're feeling that maybe God's not a part of that, that he's left you alone, that you're desolate there in that place. I've noticed that when those areas of life tend to pile up, when it's not just in one area, but it's in two or three, that things aren't fully clicking, it's really easy to get the sense that somehow we're doing this alone. That somehow maybe God blesses others, but he hasn't yet taken time to touch my life here in this place. I've noticed that when, not only when they pile up, but when they tend to go on for a while, when you deal with the same thing for a month or two, or a year or two, or a decade or two, it's real easy to lose the sense of hopefulness and joy and peace that the people of God are supposed to claim as their own as we just wrestle with this sense that maybe we've been abandoned or forgotten or looked over. And the prophet said, this is why God has a people. To stand and serve, watch and declare constantly, day and night, there is hope, there is light. God has not forgotten. At Four Corners, I want to give God no rest. I want to constantly declare how great and awesome and mighty he is. I want to keep my mind fixed on him. I want to do the things that the prophet talked about. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look specifically at what Jesus said that we do to engage God fully in our lives. We're going to look specifically at the letters in red in our gospels. And how to engage God fully and live out this marriage that he has with us. I want to do that in such a way that there's no area in my life where I look at it, no matter how difficult or dark or desolate it feels, where I look at it and say, God's not present there. In other words, I want to appropriate, and I want our church to appropriate, every single thing, every single benefit, every single glory, every single joy, every single peace, every single prosperity that God has for us. The kind of prosperity that says, even when I don't feel physically prosperous, my soul is rich. We sung about it just a few moments ago. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river comes in, when the times are turbulent. The song was written when there was a gentleman traveling on a boat from one coast to another across the Atlantic Ocean. He was traveling in remembrance of his family that had gone on ahead of him. And in that earlier boat ride, he was there and he waited behind. There had been a terrible storm and the boat went down. There were no survivors. He was brokenhearted and desolate. And he was, as he was traveling across the water and the boat came over that approximate same spot where the other one went down. He said in his journals he felt empty and alone. And he simply cried to God, God, in this place. And then the words began to wash over him. And he grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and he began to write the words. When peace like a river attends my soul. That isn't the experience of a few blessed people of God. That is meant to be the experience of every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. What that means is if you're beginning 2013 and that is not your experience in some area of your life, then that is the place where you need to not be silent and constantly hound God. Beg him, plead him, pray to him. 
Focus your mind on him. Get in, your, get in his word. Deal with the issues in your heart that block it so that when you're not at rest, constantly calling out on him, it forces, the Bible says, that's the image it uses. I don't like it. It doesn't fit my theology. But the image the Bible uses is that our constant hounding of God lights a fire under him. So we will not rest so that he doesn't rest. I wonder where in your life you need to not rest. Let me just run through three quick points. We desire, I desire in our church, and in, I desire in my life, I desire it for you. This is what, as I had a week off, this is what I prayed for each and every person in our church. We desire God's glory to be restored in our life. The glory of God simply means the light of God, that thing that shines so bright that it penetrates the darkness and pushes it out. We desire God's glory to be restored in our lives, this church, our region, and in our world. And so we will not stop. We will we will hound heaven so that our God doesn't stop. He will be restless. And he will attend to his people. And we'll long for God's praise to resound, not just in our church. I love it when we come together when there's a profound sense of the presence of God as we worship. And some people who don't understand church have been around, they just go, ooh, something was kind of happening in the room. It was like electric. We hear that a lot from guests. Let me, let me just kind of let you in on what that is. is That's the presence of God. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. God does all kinds of things in his people when we lift up praise to him. I don't want that to just happen in our church. I want it to happen in your home. I want that to happen in our nation at large and in the nations of the world. That's what the prophet said. We don't want to do this just for Jerusalem, just for our few. But we want us to become the light that attracts others so that they can see what it is to be in a relationship with God we can talk about that corporately all we want as a church. We want to be a light to this world, God. We want lost people to be found. But if it's not happening in your home, if it's not happening in your life, then you're missing. And we're all missing. And so as we start this year with On Your Mark, the mark is where do you need to bow your knee before God and say, God, I need you here. It's in this place that I'm not experiencing what it is to be your child. It's in this place that darkness has overcome me. It is in this place that the lies of the enemy speak loud in my life. Where do you need to hound God until he becomes restless in your life and his activity is incessant and he pushes through with you? We desire for God's glory. We long for his praise and we anticipate God's son being reunited with his people. The idea is as a marriage. That's why the Bible uses the imagery that every time somebody who's lost comes to Christ, there's a big party in heaven. The party is a wedding party. The groom and the bride have been united and people celebrate that. I had the joy of performing a wedding just a few weeks ago. It's a lot of fun. But sometimes you get the sense when you're doing a wedding, now not in this particular one, but when, when you're doing a ceremony and I'm kind of going through my points of how important marriage is and a few tidbits that you need to keep in mind as you do marriage a healthy way and a God-honoring way, sometimes I get the sense that people really just want to get to the party, especially if it's an open bar. Yeah, you've been to some of those, haven't you? I like it when, I like it when the party starts before the wedding. That's always fun, you know. And, and I get that because it's not just the celebration of the ceremony. It is the celebration that everybody participates in when, when the beauty of one man and one woman comes together in a, in a covenant relationship. 
It really does serve as light. I see people who have been married for 50 years, sometimes all I'm doing is ceremony for somebody that's not yet married, about to be married. And I'll see people who have been married, for, they'll look at each other, and sometimes you can actually see the spark being reunited as they look at this other light being lit. And that's what God wants for our church. One of the reasons God wants to work in your family and in my family, in your marriage and in my marriage, in your finances and my finances, is because he wants us to be a light to this world. And so I beg you, if there's an area of your life where God's not present, spend some time this month. Come the next few weeks as we press into those things that help us appropriate what it means to be a daughter of God, what it means to be a son of God. To grab hold of them. And as the prophet said, to not give rest. And so that we give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem. Until he raises us up and makes us the praise of the earth. Not in some way of seeking glory to ourselves, but so that when they look at us, we can direct them to the true source of all that is good in our life. And his name is Jesus. And his grace is boundless, his mercy knows no ends, they're new and fresh every morning. This is our message. This is what God wants to do in us. He wants to raise you up. Where there's death, he wants to bring life. Where there's bondage, he wants to set you free. Where you're blind, he wants to open your eyes. Where you've been deaf, he wants you to hear. Where you've been silent, he wants you to speak. Where you've been lame, he wants you to jump. And if that's not your experience with God, why don't you join me? Join my wife and I. Join this staff as we hound God till he has no rest and does what he's longing to do anyway, his full work in our lives. Let me ask you something. Have you grown content in the absence of your king? Is there an area of your life where it's, it's apparent that, to you that God's not present, he's not doing his full work, you haven't grabbed hold of the full promise and have you grown content with that? I mean, has there been a persistent issue in your marriage now for a few years? And neither you nor your wife are pressing, or you or your husband are pressing into that matter and saying, God, we need you here. Have you grown content in the absence of your king? And this year, God would like to reunite. And this year, he'd like to explore every cranny of your heart and mind and life. And he will. I can't promise you a timeline, but I can join with the prophet that says, I cannot rest. I can join with the watchmen that say, we will not grow tired day or night proclaiming and calling out. We will not have rest until God is not at rest. I think it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in our lives. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school in our city, in our state, in our nation, in the world. So I'm excited over the next few weeks to look at the words of Jesus, to look at what he said we could do, to have that ever-present sense that God is here at work, and what we can do when there's a delay. There's hope. His mercies are new every morning. Why don't you grab out your Connect card? Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. <coughs> Around here, we think that beginning a relationship with Jesus is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. 
The Bible says it this way, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, God, you're not just Lord of the universe, but I want you to be Lord of my life, that, that you begin a relationship with him. The marriage has taken place. You're, you're, you're united spiritually with him. If you'd like to do that, that's next step A. I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time today. If you'll check that box and put that card in the offering box or bucket when it comes by a little bit later, we'll send you some information via email and in, in snail mail as well, just telling you about that relationship and give you an opportunity to talk with somebody if you want to. No pressure, you're not joining our church. We're not going to hound you for anything. Or next step B, you want to go public with your faith. It could be that, honestly, for some of us, one of the reasons why God's work isn't fully present in our life is we've been holding back, maybe in the area of going public with our faith. God, I'm not ashamed of you. I want people to know that you are the source of my life. I want to proclaim that from the rooftops. Or next step, C. Now, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. This is me. I've grown too content with Jesus not being king. Now, in my life, that's not in every area of my life, but there are a few. And one of the challenges of being a pastor who brings God's word is that, that God's word has a way of searching your heart before it searches anybody else's. And so this week, I've been raked over the coals spiritually. And it's one of the best things that's happened to me in a while. I think maybe having the week off, getting out of the routine, feeling a little empty by not being together last week. My heart was ready and primed, and God spoke to my life, but then there are areas in your life where you're content being absent with the king. Now this year, I make a commitment that I'll not be silent. I will not stop until God is fully present in every area of my life. Is that you? Let me check the boxes, an act of confession, and when we pray in a moment. Use your words, grab hold of mine. If you don't have your own words, say, God, what Ben's praying, that's my prayer. And begin the process of asking God to not stop in your life, but to do his full work. Next step, D. I have an area of my life where I want God to not rest until his will is done on earth as in heaven. Is there some burden you're carrying, some need, some persistent problem? Maybe it's been so persistent or it's so heavy that you have yet to fully take it to God or you stop taking it to him. Now's the time to pick it back up and not be silent until you grab hold of him. Today, by checking that box, this is an act of renewal. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-engage here. You're not satisfied, God, with me living this area of my life this way or me experiencing life this way here. So I want to grab hold of what you have for me. And the next step, E, without going into it, friends, we have a lot of people who are going to be getting in small groups, and they just need somebody to help guide them. They don't need a scholar. They don't need a great conversationalist. They need somebody that will say, you can meet in my house, and I'll open my door. We call those folks small group leaders. We provide you tools and resources. I'm wondering if anybody would say, contact me. I'm seriously interested in leading a four-corner small group beginning in this February, so a month of now, and lasting through May. And if you check that box, one of our leaders will contact you and explain to you what it means. You can make an informed decision later about whether it fits or not. But if you have any inkling at all that maybe God could use you to light a fire in somebody else's life, if that's your heart at all, you need to check the box and at least have a conversation about it. Well, let's pray about these things and then sing a little bit more to our awesome and present God. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for being the kind of God that you are. The kind of God that has poured all of you into us. You gave your... You gave your one and only son for us. And yet, God, the truth is, for many of us, 
we live our lives or portions of our lives as if you haven't done the work, as if you're not fully there. God, today we stand as individuals and we stand as a body and we say, Lord, we don't want to rest until your full work is accomplished in our lives. God, we'll make ourselves fully available. And what we've been holding back, now, God, we re-engage. And when we've been listening to lies, now we open our hearts to the truth. And where we have been comfortable and content in the absence of your presence, now we long for you. So today is a fresh start. We grab hold of the mercies that you offer every day. We grab hold of your grace. And Lord, we grab hold of your power. We commit all of this to you, Jesus, the strong and risen Son of God. Amen and amen. Yes, amen.